Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. I remember saying, I I really have to seek the Lord. And we all go through times in our life where things are difficult and we have to seek the Lord, but using the words, seek the Lord, and actually the actions of seeking the Lord and something like that are two very vastly different things. So I think in the moment I was saying, I got to trust Jesus and I got to seek the Lord, but I really had to figure out what did that look like action-wise? That took me a couple of days (laughs) of saying, all right, Aaron, you're going to wake up, we're going to seek the Lord, and we're going to wait until the next step. Like we cannot get so far out ahead of ourselves that we're worrying about things like give us Lord our daily bread, like today, <laughs> not, not tomorrow, not a month from here. We need to focus on today. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. Erin Simone and I talk about her personal journey with genetic testing, genetic mutations, a breast cancer scare, and her double prophylactic mastectomy. Based on her mother's cancer diagnosis, Erin started preventative checkups, and at one of these appointments, Erin is given the option to check for the BRCA gene. Now, mind you, Erin is in her early 30s, raising a baby boy and planning on having more children with her husband. So having to face the decision whether or not to pursue genetic testing was very daunting. And simple as it may sound, making the decision to get tested has a very weighty consideration attached to it. What if it comes back positive for a genetic mutation? She'd then be forced to make a decision on which path to choose. And no matter what she chose, it would impact every aspect of her life. She did decide to do the testing. And when the results came back six or eight weeks later, she discovered that she indeed had a genetic mutation. Now she faced even harder decisions. Erin shares an example that her doctor gave her that let her know she faced a 75% chance of having breast cancer. What would this mean for her young family and any future plans for adding more children? Fresh in Erin's mind is the thought of her friend, a young mom herself who passed from breast cancer after a courageous fight. 
Erin also recalled the painful yet successful battle her mother went through as she faced her breast cancer diagnosis when Erin was only 15. Erin shares her thoughts as she wrestles with the decision process and eventually deciding to get the double mastectomy. Additionally, she tells us the two things that she couldn't live without while going through the recovery period. As surgeries do, her mastectomy left her feeling very vulnerable and helpless. So Erin also shares not only who you want in your corner, but how you can come alongside someone to help them through such a vulnerable phase. I love what she termed 2 a.m. friends. She was saying that you need to find people who you can call at 2 a.m. and they're there for you. I immediately thought of my sister and a couple of other friends that I would consider my 2 a.m. peeps. But then I got to thinking. At our age, we all cut our phones off in hopes of getting a solid night of sleep and not having to get up to go to the bathroom. But the good news is Jesus is always accessible, always on call. And that is the one thing that stands out most in this conversation with Aaron. She gave example after example of the importance and the difference and the impact that her personal relationship with God made in the midst of uncertainty and hard questions. Her desire to use her pain to make a difference for just one person was the motivation that kept her going. Each time she wanted to focus on the hard parts or get lost in the this painful season, she would turn her focus to God, looking, listening, and seeking his presence, allowed her to see him through countless situations and experiences. One of the Bible verses that was very powerful for her was when God led Moses to the Red Sea. She talks about how she encouraged, how she, how encouraged she became when she noticed something about that scripture that she had missed many times before, a small detail, and yet oh so powerful, just like God. I do want to pause for a moment and purposefully speak to this, uh, to those who have lost a loved one to cancer. And Aaron does touch on it too. If you've lost a loved one, and in this context, we're talking about the loss of someone through cancer, we're not saying God didn't love them or protect them or that he forgot them. God holds the fullness of life in the palm of his hand, and it's not over until in his sovereignty, he brings it to a close. Every single one of us will leave this life on a vehicle, one of which is cancer. Death comes for every living being. Actually, death is a transition phase. We will pass from here into eternity. And more to Aaron's point, do you know which eternity you'll transition to? And there are only two choices, heaven and hell. And it's on this side of eternity that we get to step out in faith and choose to love Jesus in return. What is love if not a choice, right? With Aaron's salvation intact and her healing journey in place, the question she gets most often is, would she choose the mastectomy all over again if she had to? Listen in to find out. Welcome, Aaron, and thank you for your willingness to share your personal experience with genetic testing, genetic mutations, breast cancer scare, and a double mastectomy. Thank you for your time. Hi, yeah, thank you for having me today. I'm overwhelmed just saying all of that. The, the genetic testing, the genetic mutation, the breast cancer scare, all of that's very overwhelming to me. And you were very young. Well, you're still very young, but you were very young when you received this type of diagnosis and you found out that you had three spots that needed to be biopsied. I believe you said you were 32. I was. Yeah. 32. Yep. What was life like before it is interrupted by this particular journey? Just a normal every day. I had a little one. He was born in 2016 and my, all this started in 2018. So he was two and a half, almost three because he was born in early 2016. I was a teacher, teacher, mom, wife, friend, you know, trying to keep all the balls in the air <laughs> without them falling. 
we were very active in our church and in our life group for all practical purposes, everything was kind of smooth sailing until, until it wasn't, but for all practical purposes leading up to that particular time in my life, I was just a busy mom of a little toddler that was, you know, trying to teach him about Jesus and trying to chase after Jesus myself at the same time. You had a very busy life and mm-hmm. a lot of moving parts to that. Now, what brought you into, I guess, maybe a mammogram? Was it your mother's history with breast cancer? Why did you go seeking any sort of medical attention? Yep, it was. My mom was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer at the age of 42. So when I went for my yearly well woman's exam, I was 32. And so when you have that close of a relative that has it, you have a mammogram 10 years prior to when they were diagnosed. So since she was diagnosed at 42, I had to have it at 32. So I went in for my normal well woman's check and there wasn't anything alarming that they found at that appointment, but I was sent over to have a mammogram done. Probably just a couple of weeks later, they got me in to do my mammogram. So that was what kind of started this to begin with was my mom's history. And then 10 years prior to her diagnosis. And then they tell you they, this mammogram brings about a result of three spots that they were concerned about. I went by myself, not thinking anything. I mean, you don't ever expect that they're going to say, Hey, there's this, that, and the other thing. Um, But when I was there, the doctor that I was working with basically explained to me, you know, with your history, I really recommend genetic testing at the time. I was like, okay, I mean, what is that? You know, I've never heard of this before. Nobody I know has done this. It was very, very new. Um, It's come a long way, even just in the four years since it's been for me, but it was very new then he recommended it. And I listened and I said, okay, you know, well, what's the outcome here? Like, what do I do? And he said, well, you know, you need to think about it and see if it's something that you and your family want to proceed with. If you do, it's a blood test. It takes, you know, six to eight weeks to come back. And then we kind of would bring you in and we talk about it. And so I had the mammogram done at that point and being young, your breast tissue can be very dense. They found the spots. They had me come in for another 3D ultrasound. At that appointment was when I said, you know what, let's just go ahead and do this. I have a three-year-old almost. I just don't want to live in a state of anxiety and fear over this thing that could be. I went ahead and did the blood work at that 3D ultrasound appointment. And then that is where I ended up going through the MRIs and the biopsies and all of the things that led me kind of to where my journey began. That was August of 2018. My son would have been two and a half when that started. And then the whole experience from start to finish was about a year and it's been continuing to go because there's still lots of people that I share this journey with. Lots of people have connected me through my church to different women that are finding themselves in the same boat that I am or worse, a positive breast cancer diagnosis. A minute ago, you mentioned that you were trying to teach your little boy about Jesus. So did you have a strong faith intact before this particular diagnosis? I did. And a lot of that came from my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, And so I was born and raised in the church. My family, we've grown up going to church. um, But when you hit a patch like that in your family, and my sister was 11 and I was 15, you kind of learn to rely on Jesus a lot more uh, when you are that young and you're like, oh my gosh, you don't think of it happening to somebody that close to you that young. And it was my mom and I was 15. So Yes, very strong, very rooted in my faith, active in our church. My husband and I have been a part of and host a life group in our house. We still, to this day, do that. And so, yes, that Jesus has always been and will always be a huge part of our life. But I think anytime you go through those difficult 
trials and those tribulations and things, you are either going to walk closer with Jesus or you're going to go the other way. And he's not leaving you, you're leaving him kind of thing. And so I think at that particular point, you know, I, I knew who Jesus was and I knew very strongly that I was going to be okay. It was just a mind thing, you know, like I could, I knew the Lord was going to deliver me from this situation that I was in, whatever the outcome was, I knew it wasn't going to leave me. It was just a matter of whether I was going to walk alongside him or whether I was going to turn and rely on the things of the world to solve the problem for me. Um, and so I think much like any situation, when you get in your life where you have, you're kind of at a crossroads, okay, what am I going to do here? Am I going to trust the Lord? And he's going to deliver me from this in his way. And that's a key because sometimes the way he delivers us from it is not exactly how we wanted it or expected it in my situation. I didn't have the cancer diagnosis, but I could have. And if that's the way that he chose to walk that out, I needed to be okay with that. Or I could have gone through the things of the world, you know, rely on people or rely on myself or, you know, try to handle it myself and not rely on the Lord. Um, And so I'm thankful looking back that I didn't choose to do that as hard as that was (laughs) in the moment on some days and sometimes, but then my best friend was also 32 when she died of breast cancer. Um, And she left school behind a very young daughter, stepdaughters that she was raising as her own. So breast cancer in and of itself was very rooted in my family. A lot of that kind of drove my faith journey with it, as well as why I proactively did the extreme. (laughs) That's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Your faith without works and action is is dead. You made a good point about it has to be his way of working it out. Because even in my case where I've lost my husband, my idea of working that out would be that he would still be alive, but that the reality is it was not to be. And so I have to be okay. And I'm not saying it wasn't a process to arrive at peace with that because it was, but again, I think ultimately it's like you can walk it out alone or in the world, which is the same thing in my opinion of being alone, or you can walk it out with God who turns things around, who makes, who gives purpose to pain, who redeems uh, the evil and the brokenness of this life. And so I'm with you on that. You've got to be willing to position yourself and even change your expectations of how it should look if it's godly. Because Mm -hmm. I even struggle with, well, if it's not good, it's not God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not true. (laughs) Not true. I agree. (laughs) So you get the three, the the three spots looked at, and you had shared that that was quite the fiasco with one of them in particular, but they, they come back benign. Now you're having to make this decision what do you want to do? They told me six to eight weeks is how long it would take for this blood work to come in. When I say blood work, the genetic mutation blood work to determine, am I predisposed to an increased risk of certain types of cancers? They told me it's going to take six to eight weeks as a public school teacher. I'm looking at the school year about to start thinking, great, this is going to come back in like, you know, September, October, this would be fantastic. Great timing. Love it. You know, this is great. Um, just as the Lord would have it, it came back before the school year started. So the week that I went back to work, but the kids weren't there is when they called me and said, Hey, we have your results. Do you want to come in today and hear them? And I was like, yes, (laughs) I'll come in. When can I come in? That was when I found out I did have three spots. And one of them I knew about from a previous, you know, just normal, they called it a fibroadenoma. It's basically a very benign thing that kind of fluctuates with your menstrual cycle. So one of them I knew about the other two, I had no idea. So at this particular appointment, I'm hearing, first of all, not only is there one, but there's two more. And by the way, you are positive for a genetic mutation that is 
Most people have heard of BRCA one and two. That is not mine. I have CHEK, which is C-H-E-K two. Yeah. So I found out at the same appointment that I had two additional spots and then I was positive for CHEK two. So at that appointment, they kind of lay out all of your options. So they told me I had several options that I could proceed and I would be given as much time as I needed to make a decision if I needed to make a decision, if I wanted to make a decision. And so one of them was, you know, do nothing, just keep proceeding on with life, definitely get these spots biopsied and, you know, go from there. Or I could do every six months, I could do a series of mammograms and then MRIs, ultrasounds, like kind of a variety of those to keep an eye on the spots if they were benign. Or I could proceed with a prophylactic mastectomy and reconstruction and just eliminate all doubt. Um, So all of this was presented to me at this particular appointment. So at this point, my head is spinning and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I have a school year I'm about to start, two and a half year old kid. This is not what I expected to be dealing with today. Um, But I knew the start was that I had to have these biopsies done. So I went in, this was, that was, they probably were able to get me in for the biopsies end of September, early October. So it was quite a bit later. So for those weeks leading up to it, you know, tumultuous, like waiting, (laughs) okay, I'm just waiting. There's purpose in the waiting. I know that there's purpose in the waiting, but this waiting is getting ridiculous. I just want to have this done. So I went in to have the biopsies done and one of them was very close to my sternum. And so I couldn't have a normal biopsy done. So my doctor, he said, he's like, listen, I would do this if I didn't think it was going to hurt because you're awake for biopsies, they don't put you out for it, but it's going to hurt based on where it is. It's going to hurt terribly. And I just can't do that to you. So we're going to have you come back and we're going to do an MRI guided biopsy. I was like, okay, after I've waited however many weeks (laughs) to get here, I can't, we're going to have to come back. What, of course we're going to have to come back. So I remember I got in the car and I was like, okay, well, there's reason for it. You know, we got to hold on. I have no clue what the reason is, but you know, we got to hold tight to the fact that there is purpose in this. It didn't happen today. So a few days pass and I go in, of course, my husband can't go with me that particular day for the biopsy. So my mom, obviously I'm her oldest daughter. She's like, I'll come, I'll come with you. I'll take the day off. I'll come, I'll take you home. And well, you know, it's fine. I'll come with you. So we go in and you can't, no one's allowed back there with you because essentially they're going into your body. So I'm in this semi quasi operating room, (laughs) very bizarre awake. You can hear the whole thing. And I'm kind of like a queasy person. They go ahead and do the biopsies. And then after I was finished, they handed me this pillow from like a local church. Some, somebody had prayed over this pillow and I was holding it. So essentially they were praying for me and I happened to look down and it is from my mom's church. Um, and so I go out into the waiting room, show her the pillow (laughs) and she's like, from my church. She has worked with this ministry as well, um, indirectly, you know, not making the pillows, but you know, all of the women in the church have said many prayers through this ministry at her church. So, um, maybe that is the reason why the biopsy had to be moved from one day to the next. I don't know if that particular pillow would have been given to me, but just the the encouragement that people that knew me that didn't realize I was going to be getting this pillow were praying for this journey before I got to this point. Um, and as simple as it was, this little square green pillow for me to put the seatbelt right where the um, biopsy was done was going to hit me right there. So they give you this pillow, which is ironically close to your heart. Um, and so oh. just the beauty in yeah. this pillow was specifically given to me from my mom's church, who's in the waiting room <laughs> waiting for me yeah. that I'm going to take home with me after this tumultuous journey of 
it sounds, it kind of sounds like a drill. Um, I don't know if you've ever had any biopsies, but it kind of sounds like a drill. So that was just a jarring experience, but the beauty that was this pillow at the end, that was a pretty cool minute for me and for my mom to be there for her to be the one that's there. And then, Hey, here's this pillow. And it says very clearly my mom's church. That was a pretty cool experience. That is very cool. That's such a little Mm -hmm. detail. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. God wink, did you say, or God yep, moment? God wink, yep. Yeah, God, God wink. Good. I mean, that is true, the intimacy of that or the yep. details of that. What is your dialogue with God during this time, especially trying to make the decision? I just remember thinking, what am I going to do? My parent, we went to dinner, you know, after all this, we went to dinner and I was trying to explain to everybody else that wasn't there with all of this news and at the same time, trying to process it in my brain. And, you know, I remember saying, I I really have to seek the Lord. And we all go through times in our life where things are difficult and we have to seek the Lord, but using the words, seek the Lord and actually the actions of seeking the Lord and something like that are two very vastly different things. So I think in the moment I was saying, I got to trust Jesus and I got to seek the Lord, but I really had to figure out what did that look like action-wise. That took me a couple of days (laughs) of saying, all right, Aaron, you're going to wake up. We're going to seek the Lord and we're going to wait until the next step. Like we cannot get so far out ahead of ourselves that we're worrying about things like give us Lord, our daily bread, like today, (laughs) not, not tomorrow, not a month from here. We need to focus on today. I think after a few days, a few weeks of telling myself, okay, we're seeking the Lord. We're actively seeking the Lord and doing that, praying through it. And when those minutes come listening to that song or finding that playlist or finding that friend or calling my mom or, you know, whatever it was that was going to encourage me to move forward instead of stand still, because if we're not moving forward, then we're not making progress. Um, And so I think the same is true about a relationship with the Lord. If we're not moving forward with our relationship with the Lord, if we're standing still, then we are not growing closer to him. And so I think seeking the Lord truly for a few days, it was standstill. Cause I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, this is not what I expected to be dealing with the 32 wanted to have more kids. That's going to have to be put on hold. I can't deal with all this and pregnancy and having a newborn all at the same time. And it was, it was very standstill. I feel like for a few days trying to figure out, okay, what is the Lord calling me to do? What truly waiting to discern the voice of God. And I can honestly say when I got back to where I had to get the decisions, like I was hearing the biopsies came back normal. And at that point it was like, it had been, you know, a couple of days I had had some time to think about it and sitting in the you know r- room with the doctor who I was wonderful, strong believer. The nurse was also a strong believer, my mom and Matt and you know, just trying really to decipher and discern what is it that the Lord wants me to do. Um, I really think I audibly, I feel like I could hear the voice say, go like, this is, you know, like it was very confirming. This is what the Lord wants me to do. Um, and so it took, (laughs) it took some courage to look the doctor in the face and say, okay, you know, this is, this is where I feel like the Lord is leading. But before I confirmed that I was headed for a prophylactic double mastectomy, I asked him, I said, you know, you have kids my age. Um, and I just am wondering, you know, what, if I was your daughter, what would you tell me to do? You're the expert here. I am not, (laughs) this is scary. And this is new. And, you know, he had never had a patient who had forged this path before everybody else had kind of decided to to hold back a little bit and wait. Um, and so it was new territory for him. He looked at me and he said, Aaron, if I were to tell you 
that when you left my office today and you went out on that main road and you had a 75% chance of being in a fatal car accident, would you go a different way? And I said, absolutely. I would go a different way. And he just looked at me and he said, it's very similar to what you're facing now. Um, and that was about all I needed. <laughs> that was the last like God wink that I needed for that. And he said, you know, I don't think that you'll regret your decision that you'll regret not having the fear and anxiety of dealing every day, every six months with what, what if there is something new there? What if it is cancer now? And so I had already come to that conclusion that that's what I wanted to do was be pro- very proactive about it. But I think him saying that put it in perspective. There's no doubt in my mind that if I was going to leave and there was a fatal car accident waiting for me there, that I would go that way. It was encouraging to see that the Lord had put doctors and nurses um, that were strong believers along my path also. Ultimately, it's my decision. I mean, I can talk with my husband about it and I can talk with my mom and the doctor and the nurse and anybody, friends, family, I can talk to anybody. But when push comes to shove, it's me making the decision that's happening. And it's me that's going to have to live with what happens when or what happens if. Did you ever wonder if you'd heard God correctly um, as you're going through the process? Because you had a lot of complications uh, after the surgery. So did you ever think, Lord, did I hear you right? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I remember. So my surgery ended up being on a Saturday, which most people don't have surgery on a Saturday, but my doctor was um, willing to come in on a Saturday because he was so booked. Um, he was willing and the plastic surgeon I work with, they were both willing to come in on a Saturday to um, do the surgery for me. So, which was again, another act of God, because otherwise it could have been weeks that I was still waiting for the surgery that I just really, truly wanted to get behind me. I wanted to coincide it with Christmas break as a teacher, because it was less time I was going to have to take off and I was going to be out six to eight weeks. So less sub plans, <laughs> just selfishly, that was kind of my thought. Can we please get this so that it is somehow, you know, truncating Christmas break. But I remember laying in the, I guess it's like the prep room before they take you back to the operating room. I remember laying there and I don't, I'm not real good with needles. I've gotten better having kids, but I'm not super great about needles and medical things. And they were trying to get the IV in my hand and it just wasn't going as well as I thought it was going to go. And it was hurting and then it was tight and it was, there was just a lot of complications. And I remember at that moment thinking, okay, I can say no. Right. <laughs> I, yeah. I, did I really, is this really what you want for me, God? And I remember all of the things that the enemy can just start right. in those yeah. moments, just start to get in your head and start to make you think this is not right. This is not right. You're doing the wrong thing. And probably a little bit, maybe 15, 20 minutes later, my friend, Vanessa, who passed away, her mom walked in to wish me well and pray with me. And she had an ornament because it was December 1st was my surgery. So she had an ornament with Vanessa's face and she said she would want you to have this. Um, And so at that moment I realized she fought a harder fight than I fought. Um, And she won her battle, although we didn't win because she's not here anymore. She won. It was just that little bit of encouragement, that little, again, a God wink that it was like, you're right. Like, this is what the Lord wants for me. Like, I don't want what I saw her fight a tremendously difficult battle. Um, I saw my mom fight a tremendously difficult battle and here I am in a position to get ahead of it and how blessed and how fortunate and how gracious and merciful the Lord is to allow me to be on this side of it. Get out of my head, you know, get out of my head, Satan. I don't need you here. This is not, there's no place for you here. Yes. (laughs) Moments before I was like, okay, we're done. Pull the IV out. We're done. We can't do this. Um, but she came in and, you know, of course there were no dry eyes, the nurse that had been taking care of me, the doctor, all the people in there. And so it was just, 
a perfect, a perfect moment of encouragement to just know, like, keep fighting, keep fighting. You got to keep pressing forward. The Lord has you here for a reason. I think one of the most difficult, or at least for me, the most difficult part of following God is to wait on him. And I think of be still and know that I'm God. And then I think about what you're saying to actively seek the Lord. Can you speak to a difference about them? Because I see the value in both. But how do you know when to use one and not the other? You know, I think it's all about faith. Um, you know, I, and I, I don't mean to use that Sunday school answer, uh, but I truly think um, faith is something that we can. I mean, in Hebrews, we can't see it. You know what I mean? Like people that don't believe in Jesus, they're like, you believe in this person that nobody can see. And to me, I'm thinking, look around, he's everywhere. I think it takes maturity in your faith to know when you seek and when you listen. We have to be mature enough in our faith to stand still and to to know when the Lord is speaking to us, whether it's through a Bible verse or through a friend or my friend who's bringing this ornament, like that was me being still and the Lord speaking to me. And there were no words exchanged, but the Lord is clearly speaking to me. But then at the same time, when we need to step out in faith, you know, I think there is time for that too. Um, And to know the difference, I, I think it's just continuously seeking the Lord, reading your Bible, surrounding yourself with people who are sharpening you, praying daily. Sometimes it's just the solitude and the quiet of a space that otherwise would be noisy and loud. And the Lord speaks in those moments in the quietness of your heart, or maybe it's just a really small go. It's definitely rooted in faith and trusting. When we can't see the hand of God, we have to trust his heart. My pastor says that all the time, and it's written all through all the Bibles that I take with me to church. There's a lot of truth to that. So we're struggling to seek him because we don't see him. You know what I mean? We have to trust his heart. And so when we can trust his heart, we can take that small wobbly step forward, knowing that his heart is good and he's faithful and merciful. And he's been faithful in so many situations. I think we just really have to hold tight to the fact that his character is from the very first page of Genesis to the very last page of Revelation. His character stays the same um, and he's unwavering. So we can stand firmly on the faith that he's unwavering and we can be too. There are places that you go in your mind that no one else can really help you with, especially when you're under stress like that and pain and suffering. Uh, And they can't help you, especially because a lot of it is internal dialogue. And that's where we fight our battles at. Can you think of of a part of the journey that was extremely hard and it brought you to what you felt like was maybe the end of your understanding? And maybe maybe it was exasperation or frustration or overwhelm. Well, how did you how did you give that to the Lord? How did you lay it down? I I could think of several, but the one that comes to mind right now, I had to have two drains on either side. And that is just removal of the fluid and the tissue. And, you know, they have to be, you got to watch them and you got to drain them and it's very uncomfortable. Um, and so I remember you, you can't shower because it's, you know, into your body and I'm an everyday shower. And I was like, Oh, this, that was the hardest for me. Um, my sister would go to great lengths to find a variety of things, shampoo caps that you didn't have to go in the shower. And Matt would try them because I was like, I don't want to put it on my head if it's going to make me look greasier because I can't take a shower to remove it. And I mean, it was just, you know, the struggle of being an everyday shower with these drains. And, you know, people will tell you the variety of people that I had connected with that had had similar or the same surgery. The drains could take anywhere from, you know, three or four days to two or three weeks to have them removed. And 
you know, I, I remember going to all those follow-up appointments thinking, is today going to be the day they're going to remove these drains? They're uncomfortable. You know, it, they're hanging off of you. You have to wear like a fanny pack type thing to keep the bulbs from pulling on your skin. And so I remember, um, I went into the breast cancer doctor and he's like, you know, I think the fluid looks okay. You know, I, I think you're going to be able to get them out. Um, but I don't take them out. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding? He's like, no, you're the plastic surgeon has to take them out. Um, so you got to make, when you go to your appointment with him, well, this was, you know, a couple of days out, maybe two or three days out. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just wait, you know, I'll just wait. It's only a couple of days. I think it, there was a weekend maybe in the middle, but I remember that night just being like, one doctor has told me that the fluid is clear enough and it, they can come out, but he can't take them out. Like he doesn't, that's not his job. I have to wait for the plastic surgeon to do this. And um, there's a verse in, um, Exodus in Exodus 14, it says the Lord will fight for you. You just need to be still. And that verse had come up so many times from the start of the journey to the end of the journey. And even now, and if you know the story, um, this is where they're trying to cross the Red Sea. Um, and the Lord comes to them. He's in a cloud. And then at the evening time, he's a light. Um, and so a little bit further, it says the angel. So this just to give a little reference, they're trying to cross the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is pressing on them from behind the seas in front of them. Moses is leading the way. They're trying to get across this red. They come to this body of water and who in their right mind, if you put yourself there is thinking the Red Sea is going to part. I know I am not, I'm going to doubt until the last day there. There's no way I'm getting across on dry land. So at this point, um, he's, he's telling them, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp as for you. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And this is the part that in this particular moment. Um, really just solidified. The Lord is really fighting for me. Um, it says, then the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelite forces moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It, it came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was cloud and darkness. It lit up the night and neither group came near the other all night long. So I remember thinking in that minute, um, it's so close, but it's so far. And I'm sure that the Israelites felt the same way. It's here. How do we get across it? And how many times have, can we think back into our life of a different situation where it's so close, but yet it feels so far. But in that moment, the Lord who had been in front for so long positioned himself to be between the Israelites and the Egyptians to protect them. Um, and I don't know what to this day, I have no idea why they couldn't just take the drains out for me or, you know, but I remember that evening just thinking, wow, like he strategically moves himself behind me because I'm facing forward and beside me to protect me from whatever it is around me. So maybe if this other doctor could have taken these drains out, I could have had infection or something could have gone wrong. And so it just wasn't the time. It just wasn't the time. And as much as it sounds so silly to think two days, Aaron, come on, two days is really not two days with those drains in me was a long time. <laughs> I did not want them in any longer than I needed them in. Um, and so that story has just resonated with me throughout the whole journey, that verse, particularly, you know, I really, the Lord is fighting for you, Aaron, you just need to be still.
you just need to be still. Um, but then just imagining this pillar that led them for so long. And, and they're probably thinking, where did you go? You're not leading me anymore. But he's positioning himself in a way that is protecting us from the sides that we don't have control over. And we can't see what's in front of us and behind us at the same time. And the Lord was performing a miracle in front of them, but behind them, he was fighting a battle. So they just needed to be still and walk through the Red Sea. Meanwhile, he's protecting them from the Egyptians behind them. Um, and the same as silly as it sounds with drains, <laughs> the same is true. Like I said, he, they don't, maybe they didn't have the equipment or infection or, you know, there's a host of things that could have happened. I just, that evening, it just was very clear you got to, you got to be still the Lord's fighting this battle. You got to be still the drains will come out when the drains are ready to come out and we just have to keep moving forward. Um, and so, so this day, I still, to this day, will never forget that story and how much, you know, you read stories, you read about Moses in the Red Sea and parting the Red Sea, how many times growing up in church. Um, but that particular part where the cloud moved behind to protect was just very significant to me in this particular time in life. I think that speaks to the be still part too, because when things are out of your control, mm -hmm. you have to be still and that's when you have to trust. And then also too, you know, if God's not necessarily speaking, how are you going to move? So you need to be still in those situations. Do you ever feel like God wasn't protecting you? Because there's a, a way that God hems us in when he, you know, no one can touch us. And then there's sometimes a feeling when we're hemmed in and we can't seem to get any help. It's like, Lord, where are you? The recovery was not the easiest for me. I had the double mastectomy, which was the most extensive surgery. Um, and then when they did the mastectomy, they placed expanders in, which expanders are essentially just like a placeholder um, that they can fill with fluid. Um, and so I was not at all interested in, you know, being very, very well endowed for lack of a better term. But at the same time, you know, I, I am a female and I'm a young female. Um, and so, um, when I went in for the first, they called them fills, uh, the, the process in which they find the magnetic port in the expander was very, <laughs> I mean, it was very simple, but it was also very unique. Uh, so they take a magnet and then they take a huge needle and, because the magnet has found the middle port. And so anyway, when I went in to have my first fill, I was having trouble healing on one side, the stitches that they had used were not adhering. My skin was not, and they were concerned about infection. Um, and so as you can imagine, they're not going to fill something that hasn't fully healed. Um, so that process had to lengthen even further than I had thought. And the expanders were very, um, uncomfortable. They're very hard, um, and very just, boxy, I guess is maybe the right word. Um, and so I had a really hard time, any like sweater that went over my head, you know, trying to get it over my head and it was winter time. So obviously you're wearing long sleeves. And I remember one there, it was Christmas because my surgery was December 1st and we were going to my aunt's house for Christmas and it was cold. And I wanted to wear this Sherpa fleece kind of thing because it was cold outside and I just couldn't get the thing over my head. And my husband was trying to help. And finally, I just said, forget it. I can't do this. I don't like, this is terrible. These expanders, I can't get them. They can't fill them. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it was a time of like truly just relying on other people. And when you're independent and you've raised to be independent, um, relying on somebody to help you get dressed for weeks on end and help you wash your hair because you can't lift your arms above like where your elbows are in my heart of hearts. I want to do for you. I don't want right. to want you yeah. to help me. Um, so having to rely on people to come over and help me take a shower, put on my clothes, <laughs> put on my socks 
I couldn't lift my kid for, he was a big kid. He was two and a half and I couldn't lift him for, I think 10 weeks. Um, So there were definitely moments of, gosh, why why did I do this? What, what, what is this? What, where is the outcome? Like, what, what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? Um, But I eventually got to where they were able to do, they call it the exchange surgery, where they exchange your expanders for um, the implants. And that went remarkably well. I really didn't have a whole lot of, it was outpatient surgery. Um, I was out of work for about 10 days, a week, 10 days. I, was, I wasn't out for very long. Um, and so that went remarkably well. I was a runner at the time. Um, and so I was just waiting for that time for the doctor to say, okay, you're good. Go run. You're good. Go run. Um, and so I finally got the all clear about six weeks after that exchange surgery. And I went out and decided I was going to go run. And I came back and something was not right. <laughs> I had to have a revision revision surgery on the right side. The implant had fell. Um, it had fallen. And so they had to go in and um, I had like a divot in my chest and it just wasn't where it was supposed to be. At this point, it's mid to late April. I teach in an SOL testing grade. Um, and so I really didn't want to go out at testing time for my kids. I had already been out to significant amount of time. And so I just said, you know, what can we do just to get me to the summer? Like, can I please just <laughs> get to the summer? And thankfully it wasn't an emergency type surgery situation. I just had to dress supportively and make sure that I could keep it as in place. So it didn't cause any more trauma, um, to the right side. I went in July that year to have the revision that I wasn't planning to have in that moment. It's like, did you really have to go run? But I had been cleared. Everything was fine. And it was just, you know, I I really think in, in moments like that, the Lord humbles you and just reminds you that, you know, you have got to rely on me. Like if you're not going to rely on anything else in this world, you're going to rely on me. Like you cannot do this on your own. You think you can, but you cannot. Um, And so that summer, it was like mid July that I had my third surgery. So from December 1st to mid-July, I had three separate surgeries for this situation that I found myself in. There's all the different things that people will tell you about anesthesia and how long that takes to get out of your system. And um, so, but it was in the middle of the summer, I have this third surgery. And for six to eight weeks after that third surgery, you can't swim like in a swimming pool or in the beach because of potential bacteria. So hottest part of the year, and I can't swim with my three and a half year old the Lord really just has a way of humbling you and make you realize like you swimming in the middle of summer is nothing compared to the joy that is spending eternity with me. Um, and is nothing compared to the paths and the lives of people that you're going to cross that don't know me. Um, and so you're concerned about swimming in a swimming pool when people don't know me and are like, on a one-way ticket to hell, that is what your concern should be. Um, And so it was definitely a perspective shifter, definitely a, why are you so worked up about this? (laughs) Um, This is small potatoes compared to people whose souls are not one for Jesus, Aaron. Like open your mouth, look up, look out and figure out how we're going to win souls to Jesus. What is truly eternal perspective minded important in the big scheme of life? Yeah, because I think as you mature with Christ, you begin to understand it's not all about those things, but it takes moments like that in our life to be reminded or at least to be let know that, hey, sweetheart, I got a bigger plan going on here. I got a yeah. bigger overarching story that you're going to want to be a part of because it's going to be amazing. Yeah. 
How did you care for yourself? Some practical ways that you cared for yourself. And what do you think is the most important way to care for yourself as someone is going through this? I think um, as hard as it was, just being honest with those that are closest to you, I've often heard it said, and probably when my mom was going through cancer too, um, people will often say, hey, let me know if you need anything. And it's kind of that like normal like thing. We all say, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm praying for you. Like, let me know if you need anything. Um, But I think truly what we should do is actually stop and pray with that person and actually just do that thing. Um, So don't wait for somebody to actually ask for help, but rather act. Um, And so I think looking back, I probably could have been a little bit better about that. Um, But for anybody that's experiencing something, I think um, knowing who is in your inner circle and knowing who is willing to sit in the pit of the difficultness and the hard um, and the struggle and the strife and who isn't you know, isn't trying to tell you something about their life. That's also terrible too, which they may be having a terrible time, but to sit there in the pit with you and say, Hey, you know what? Me too. Let's pray about this. When I look back on my journey, there are, um, handfuls of people that sat on my, there was one, um, there was one friend who I couldn't go to an ornament exchange because I was recovering and she brought an ornament to my house and just sat with me before the ornament exchange and gave me a little breast cancer ribbon ornament that still hangs on my tree to this year. Another friend just meal after meal after meal. And she had a little girl who was turning one and I had missed the birthday party and she sent me all the pictures and I got to FaceTime and just hold on to those people because the, the, the reality is those people are going through, will go through, or have gone through um, something difficult where you can easily return that favor. Um, And so I think looking back, finding people that you can reach out to and say, this is what I need to pray about now. Let's pray now. Um, And allowing that to be a space that's safe. I also think a solid Bible reading plan. um, I know that sounds so cliche, uh, but I can't remember off the top of my head what Bible study I was doing at the time, but whatever it was, was one that spoke directly <laughs> to what I needed. Um, and so I think the Lord does work in that. Um, and I had a dear friend that would send me verse after verse after verse. And to this day, she still does it. Um, and her husband and her are such dear friends of ours. Um, and they really encouraged both of us in that time of um, just today is not a good day. You know, like today is hard. And that's, I think you have to be, you have to be open and honest to say, I'm not okay today. Um, and we're not always going to be okay. You know, it, in a way it's grief, which, you know, we've, you've experienced tremendous grief in your life and grief is a journey, but it's not linear. Um, and so I think we have to remind ourselves that it, we're not kind of constantly be this flatline surface of like, we're moving out of it. Like some days are going to be harder than others. And in a weird way, you're grieving part of your body that you lost. And do I miss them? No, <laughs> you know, my grief journey has kind of had an end and I can now see the beauty that was, but oftentimes people that have huge losses or tragic, tragic trauma, um, or death or diagnosis that are just beyond comprehension. We have to be able to tell our people, to tell our tribe, I'm not okay. Um, and to allow them to sit with us and pray with us. Then from another perspective, when you are walking alongside a friend or family member, be willing to be that person to sit and pray with them, to drop off the meal, 
to go pick up their kids, <laughs> to run to the grocery store, um, to cut the grass, to do, you know, whatever it is that is needed in the time. Um, because I think so often we can, we can default to, Hey, let me know if you need anything. 99% of the time that person is not going to tell you when they need something. So you just have to do it. Um, and so we were in a Bible study very early on in our marriage and at our church and the leaders of it, um, they told us that we needed to find our 2am friends, um, meaning people that you would call at 2am with just about anything and they would be willing to do it. Um, and I can say through this experience and through some other heavy experiences in their lives and our lives, um, that we have found solid 2am friends, um, very God ordained relationships as far as how do you move, how do you move through it? What do you do to help yourself put one foot in front of the other is you have to rely on the Lord and you have to rely on those people around you, that circle, that community that's going to point you to Jesus, not away from him. And there's a lot of ways to do that. But I think prayer and reading your Bible and um, just joining people on the journey and saying, hey, I'm here, like, I'm right here. Tell me what you need. Otherwise, I'm just going to do what I think you need. <laughs> so one of my friends to this day, we met when our sons were in second grade together and she went through a cancer uh, diagnosis and eventual healing of her husband. But in the meantime, we didn't know each other well outside of the classroom, but I began to pick up her son. Let me pick him up. Let me drop him off. Let me do that. So I entered into a place where I could help um, and just picked her son up. And then we eventually, he would come over to the house and stay. And then we became good friends. The kids hung out all the time. And lo and behold, how many years later, my son's 29 now, and I just visited her not too long ago, and she is out of state at this point. So my point being, there are your inner circle friends, as you mentioned, maybe those 2 a.m. friends who are going to come over and sit with you in silence and let you be you and struggle, and they'll, they'll listen, and they'll hug you. And then there's the next maybe layer of friends who can drop off groceries when they're at the grocery store. Maybe they don't necessarily have that inner circle, but they can, they drive by your house and they know that. So there's a lot of practicality to being able to, to step up and just do something small, because even if they don't tell you what they need, you know, they need bread and milk, mm -hmm. probably butter, mm -hmm. eggs. I mean, those are all helpful things. Toilet paper, paper towels, which is something I did for a friend of mine for a while. Uh, give her the big Sam's club paper towels and toilet paper. Cause I knew she'd have a lot of people coming. When you think about the way that God has walked this particular journey, what is something about him that surprised you either about his nature or his character or his intimacy? Oh gosh, there are so many things um, that I could list, but I feel like I always come back to just his faithfulness and his mercy um, because my story could be so vastly different. I, I, I'm fully aware <laughs> I could have been faced with, you have a, you know, metatastic breast cancer. It's all over your body. I, I, that easily could have been my experience. Um, but it wasn't, uh, and the Lord was so merciful, um, to allow me to make that decision. Um, and so in the, in the middle of all of this stuff, um, the August, September, October, October is national breast cancer awareness month. I'm sure most, most people know that. Um, but there's a week between September and October and they call it national, pre-viver. It's like a pre-viver week. Didn't know anything about it, but of course somebody sent me an article about it that particular year. Um, and it's all about people who do proactive preventative surgeries to prevent based on, you know, genetic mutations. And I didn't even know it was a thing, like had no idea until I'm in the middle of this journey 
Um, my sister had connected me with somebody that she followed on Instagram who has a different mutation, but had the same surgery that I did. Cause there is very little, uh, very few people that have actually walked this road. And I've learned that as people have reached out to me and said, Hey, I'm about to do it. Can you talk with me? I mean, four or five people now at this point, um, that I've met with one-on-one and kind of walked through this journey with them. Um, but this particular person, she doesn't live anywhere close to me. So I really have only communicated with her through Instagram. And, you know, just the way that the Lord would ordain that, that her surgery was in July, my sister somehow stumbled upon her and the Lord would allow me to have somebody that I could ask these questions to that's been here and done that. Um, And so I just think about his mercy and how, like, not only in my friend who doesn't live here that had the same surgery, but also in my own life like that. I mean, let's be real. A cancer diagnosis oftentimes means chemo and surgery and radiation and a lot of scans between now and forever um, to make sure that nothing has popped back. And, you know, the constant anxiety of, did they get all the cells? Is everything gone? Where, what, what's left? Um, And so I think, you know, there are so many characteristics of the Lord that he just genuinely showed up um, at all the right times, just like the Lord would. But I think like just his mercy and allowing me to be ahead of it Um, and his faithfulness to just know that he is God, like above all else, regardless of whether the surgery is a complete flop, whether those biopsies came back, you know, all of them are cancerous. Um, I think just his unwavering faithfulness and then the mercy that he allowed me in my journey to be ahead of it. Um, and I know that that, that is not something that, you know, I take lightly or my family takes lightly. Um, I know that I, that, that was a very gracious gift on behalf of the Lord to be able to, to say, I got ahead of it because otherwise I don't know what my story, how it would have ended. I don't know what that would have looked like, but I know now my 75% chance of having breast cancer is now somewhere in the 1% range. He continues to be faithful. And I think we can so often in the middle of a storm, doubt that faithfulness. We can so often be so consumed, just like Peter, you know, we can be so consumed with the waves and the wind and the, I'm going to drown and this is not going to work out. We can be so consumed with what's going on around us that we forget who tells the sea to move. You know what I mean? Like, how could I doubt that he's not going to see me through this storm on this rocky sea that I'm on when he's the one that calls the wind and the waves to move? he really is who he says he is. Uh, and I, I can firmly say that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amen. You mentioned a few minutes ago, you've helped four or five women uh, who are facing what you've walked through. What would you say their most common question is? Would you do it again? I, I get that a lot. My doctor that I was with that my, the breast cancer doctor, they were doing a series. The news was doing a series on him and this kind of came up. So he called and asked if I would go in to be interviewed and it came up there. Uh, would you do it again? And my answer is always a million times. Yes. Um, waking up every day, not having that looming cloud of, is this lump breast cancer? Could this be, is this it? Um, it is a hundred percent worth it. And even further, you know, oftentimes, sadly, a cancer diagnosis ends in victory for the survivor if they know Jesus, but sadness for those that are left behind. And the thought of doing that too when I was, when I was going through this journey, my son, but now I have a daughter, um, and she's only 18 months. And the thought of, you know, 
I could never have had her if this went <laughs> awry. Um, and so the thought of not seeing them graduate from high school, God willing, and, you know, getting married and having kids of their own and um, seeing them as parents and grow, um, I think that helps keep in perspective, you know, yes, I definitely would do it again for a million times. Yes, I would. <laughs> well, that says a lot because you were cutting some new territory through your diagnosis. So you went through things that potentially, potentially these newer um, diagnoses would not have to endure because you've already been there and taught them a different way of doing things. What is the one thing you could not do without? (laughs) There was, um, so actually two things. There was this pillow that had like armholes cut into it and it kind of went across your chest and you could like put it in your armpits Um, that one for sure, because driving to and from like all the doctor's appointments I had when I was still very, very sore, the seatbelt and any sort of bump or anything like that was very, very painful. Um, so that for sure. And then something to hold, um, the drains that they, they have like bulbs on the end and they, when they would fill a fluid, they would pull. Um, and so there was, um, a friend of mine who told me about a lady who makes, I forget what they're called, but they, she basically made these mesh bags for cancer, breast cancer patients. Um, and so she sent me two of them. And so the idea is you use one and then you give the other one to somebody that you Uh meet. So I was able to pass that, pay it forward. I was able to pass that one on to somebody that I met that needed them. But then a friend of mine, she made, I um, really like monogram things. Um, And a friend of mine, she made me a zip up monogram jacket that on the inside had a place for me to put the drains. So if I was like going somewhere and I didn't want to wear this like fanny pack mesh thing, I could just wear this zip up jacket and they would go inside the jacket and no one would really know unless you knew. So that's cool. Yeah. She's inner circle friend level. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Well, good. When you think about the redemption God gives us for our pain and suffering, in what ways have you experienced some of your redemption? When I was going through the interview process with the doctor and the nurse that I have grown to love, um, that was one of the things that was brought up in a roundabout way. And I said, if my journey helps just one person, then it was all worth it. And it has at this point, we're past that one person. Um, and I say that only by the grace of God, it's never me seeking out people. It's people that just know the story. Um, and they're send me a message. Hey, Aaron, will you talk with, this is a friend of a friend of a friend. And they're about to walk through that has been just inspiring to know that the Lord is using somebody that's so broken and not equipped to do what I think, you know, you think of the big names from the Bible (laughs) and he uses the unexpected people. I know that. And I've read that, but you know, to think that he's using me in a journey of somebody else's is just like to sit and just marvel at the fact that I'm just living my life and reading my Bible and seeking after Jesus. And he's using that in somebody else's life for good. And just really, truly, whether they know Jesus or not, allowing them to know that this is not me. Like, I don't want you to hear my words. I want you to hear Jesus. What I say to you is, is little, little, little compared to the beauty and the joy that is who Jesus is knowing that however high and however low that journey took me, I I stand by if it, if, if it reached just one person and if it prevented just one person from getting breast cancer, that was my prayer. If it led one soul to Jesus, that was my prayer. Um, And do I know if it's led soul to Jesus? I certainly hope so. I don't know. 
But I do know that I've been put in contact with several women that I've been able to say, get the mesh bag, get the pillow that goes across your chest. <laughs> Let me see how I can help you best. And um, they've asked me about doctors and, you know, just opinions on different things. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, to answer your question, to really see the fruit of the Lord and to just allow this is not about me. This is a true story about the Lord and how the Lord has directed every single step. And if you don't know him, please let me introduce you to him first. And then I'll talk to you about this. As Christians, we can easily get wrapped up in quickly. We can get wrapped up in the, this is what the Lord did for me. But if they don't know the Lord, that's really, really where we have to start. Um, And so I think just those conversations and just not editing Jesus out of my story. And I think I was sharing with you when I was doing the interview uh, with my doctor and whatever the news station was, I did not edit Jesus out. They may have edited him out of (laughs) that particular storyline, but I did not. Um, And so I think just being very frank and very clear um, and just allowing your life and your story to point to Jesus, because there are people that don't know him. And ultimately those dreams and those biopsies coming back cancerous, all of that could have happened but what's far worse is those people not spending eternity with Jesus. And that is what the gospel is about. That is what is important in this life that we live on this earth because it's fleeting and we're not going to be here forever. And, you know, so the drains hurt. Oh, well, eternity is not going to hurt. Um, and so I think just that mindset of for the glory of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord, who am I reaching today for the glory of the Lord? And who is he going to speak to through me? Not me. You give us a beautiful reminder of one of the ways we can have just a little taste, a little shadow of the Garden of Eden here on this side of glory because of who God is and because of what his son did on the cross. We get a different experience with the evil and the brokenness of this life because of the work of the cross. We get to experience the heart of God in the midst of very difficult, devastating, painful circumstances, uncertainty deep questions, deep pain, but God pierces all of that with his presence. And so it's just, you just give us a beautiful reminder that, that God's presence is everything. Knowing you're not alone is everything. Absolutely. Thank thank you so much, Aaron, for your time today. I appreciate your vulnerability on this topic. Yes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.